Level Up Nation and welcome to the March 31st edition of Level Up Live, your home for gaming and esports news, brought to you by OTN Media. My name is Fiasco, you can call me John, and I am joined as always for the 273rd week in a row. I'm not counting though, Joey, I'm definitely not counting at all. The king of the courtside, the courtside king, Joey, what's up, buddy? Not quite in a row, John, but we've been decently <laughs> consistent here and there. We've had to take some weeks off a little bit this month in particular, uh, but game news is popping. We're moving into spring, getting closer to summer. Unfortunately, some bad news for today. There will be no E3 this summer, but there should still be Summer Game Fest and plenty of announcements to come, and I'm excited to start getting into them. Absolutely. Nation, we understand this show only comes on once a week. I get it. I get it. You want to be up to date with all the gaming and esports news. That's why... I cannot recommend enough that you follow the show on social media. That's Twitter and Facebook at Level Up Live for all the cool information that Level Up brings you on Thursday nights, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Not quite 24 hours a day, but Joey, with our sleep schedule, it probably might be 24 hours a day. Uh, Nonetheless, make sure you follow the show. You're watching the show. You're listening to the show. You might as well be following on social media as well. And make sure to throw a follow to Joey at Courtside King, myself at Fiasco for all of the hot takes throughout the week leading up to that Thursday night show. Nation, as always, the best place to catch Level Up Live is on Twitch. Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's twitch.tv slash OTN media. But it's okay. Don't worry. We understand. There's a lot of great programming on TV right now. There's a lot of... Uh, Great shows coming out on Disney Plus. I know, uh, you know, Moon Knight's one a lot of people are hyped about. We talked a little bit about it a couple weeks ago. Halo's out on Paramount. Pretty sure we'll be touching on that a little bit as, as well. Uh, so if you're caught up with other things in life, don't worry. The podcast version of the show is there for you. Just look up Level Up Podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere else you can find an RSS feed for podcasts. We are there for you. Just look us up. Please do leave a review. And ratings, as it does go a long way, and not just only helping promote the show, but giving us that feedback we need to make the show what you, our listeners and viewers, want the most from this show. So please do. Feedback is always great. And as always, extra credit is on the table. Patreon.com slash OTN. Consider buying our love today. Check out one of the mini tiers on Patreon.com slash OTN. It's not required. It's completely cool. Don't worry about it. Joey. Besides people buying our love and affection through Patreon.com slash OTN, what are we talking about today on Level Up? Absolutely, sir. We have quite the slate ahead of us. We're talking PlayStation's very interesting week out there by Greg uh, of Kind of Funny. He gave some little teasers here and there this week about three big announcements from PlayStation. The possibility of all three of those falling in this week. So far, one of them has fallen. Uh, maybe on Friday we see another one. We'll have to wait and see. But for now, we do have an idea of what those were and when they could come. Uh, we have Fortnite's no build mode. John, it is permanent. So I'm excited to build that up a little bit and talk more about it. We have the sequel to Zelda Breath of the Wild getting delayed to 2023. Xbox Game Pass expansions, gaming acquisitions, Valorant Masters, Reykjavik, and much more. All right, it is another action-packed episode of Level Up Live here at OTN Media. So, Joey, before we even dive headfirst into these amazing topics, it, of course, is time for the drink of choice. 
which I will go ahead and say I fully neglected to grab a beverage prior to hopping on tonight's show. So, Joey, tonight's episode is riding on your shoulders. This entire thing will come collapsing down if you do not have a beverage. Joey, carry me home. What are you having for the John, I have a beverage, but it's nothing super exciting. Uh, Unfortunately, still on some painkillers for the foot. We're in the last stages of recovery, so it should be good here soon. Uh, But tonight I'm drinking a Lemoncello sparkling water from LaCroix. Uh, nothing alcoholic, unfortunately, but we're working our way towards the end of the week and then maybe some celebrating this weekend once the painkillers are gone. Uh, that's Joey's way of telling me that I'm talking too long is when he does that. So, uh, Nation, <laughs> we have our beverage. Uh, we have our topics. Joey, let's get right into Let's get right into gaming and esports news. Let's go! Absolutely. Again, guys, a packed show here. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to kick things off with some hardware. Uh, John, I'm going to turn this one back over to you. As you know, hardware specs much better than I do. Uh, We have a two-horse race at the moment when it comes to GPUs. AMD really making some noise in recent years. Prior to that, NVIDIA pretty much having a monopoly on the industry, very much being that front-forward runner. Uh, And they continue to be as we move forward, but AMD starting to slash down on their prices. Now we have someone else entering the ring, and this is Intel. Uh, Intel being there always as a big processor maker, now moving into GPUs and unveiling their Arc A series for laptops. Yeah, so the reason why this is is big, without getting too technical with anybody, um, unless you bought a specific gaming laptop where essentially you have the mini version of like a 3080 built in there, uh, the the standard Intel graphics 650 is is pretty much the the bread and butter for laptops, and it doesn't really work. Like it, it works for those non graphical uh, non graphic intense games, um, but but God forbid you want to play Halo Infinite. Uh, God forbid you want to play something else other than League of Legends because that's about all it can run. Uh, th- this is your answer. Uh, this is Intel's response. Uh, kind of uh, giving that upgrade to laptops, and I think it's really, really cool. Uh, you know, AMD has been incredibly successful over the past five years, uh, pushing through their GPUs and their processors, really pushing Intel to, you know, if Intel is going to be the Cadillac of computer components going forward, if, if they're going to be the ones setting the standard for when it comes to graphics in laptops, when it comes to processors, they have to respond to AMD doing it just as good, if not better, for a lower cost. And that's what we're seeing here, is we're seeing that competitive nature really come to fruition for Intel, uh, finally pushing out uh, their their ARC-integrated graphics, uh, originally was announced in 2018. Uh, all these years later, we're going to give them a slide because of, you know, international pandemic, whatever. We'll give them that excuse. It's fine. Uh, but it's finally here. It looks absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend checking it out. If you're in the market, for a gaming laptop, but you don't want to pay the gaming laptop price, uh, a laptop with uh, the Arc in it is going to be absolutely fantastic and will probably satisfy most casual to moderate gamers' needs out there. Okay, so John, I have to ask you, does this automatically make them an instant competitor when it comes to gaming laptops, or do you think it's going to take a while for the crowd to kind of warm up to them? So the problem with gaming laptops is... (laughs) I really hate to say this, but... The gaming laptop market is a really small portion, uh, at least in my opinion, uh, of gaming sales. Because the the biggest issue when it comes to a gaming PC is you don't have that ability to modify it and upgrade it as technology continues to advance. When you buy it, 
It's essentially saying, I am buying this PC as is, and I am hoping that with its current technology, it will last me for the duration of this life cycle for technology, which, in all honesty, is right around 7 to 10 years based upon what component you're looking at. Uh, but for a gaming laptop, uh, you know, you used to have to shell out the big bucks to get the gaming laptop. Several, uh, you know, not several thousands, it can be up that high, but generally a gaming laptop with a legit gaming uh, uh, graphics card in it is going to run you close to about $1,500. Hindsight being 2020 here, you can build yourself a gaming PC and a standard PC tower for several hundred dollars less, and the great news is, is you can upgrade those components as technology continues to expand without having to drop another twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars. Uh, so the market for gaming laptops is pretty small. Does this make them an instant competitor? Uh, it, it definitely makes them stand out a little bit more. I, I, I would be curious to see uh, the manufacturers that use AMD in their gaming laptops to see how they respond pricing-wise to the art coming out in those gaming laptops that support Intel. Uh, so it, It'll be interesting. It's kind of a, a sit back and wait, but it definitely does make that market a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I'm very in the same sense. Uh, like as far as gaming laptops go, I feel like the desktop PC is the way to go for most gamers that are looking to dive more into PC gaming. With that being said, uh, I feel like the laptop does present that mobility that a desktop PC does not in many cases. Uh, a lot of those towers being pretty big, not very easily portable, especially if you're flying or doing trips a lot. Uh, gaming laptops kind of open that up a little bit more. But with that being said, John, that's kind of in that, I think you said 2% range. It's very small. It's not a ton of people traveling and our gamers that are looking to game regularly like that, that might not have a mobile game or a, uh, I mean, nowadays there's so much cloud gaming available as well that it becomes almost like not necessarily a necessity for gamers who are traveling and want to keep up with it anymore. So we'll keep an eye on that. I feel like this is just the beginning of Intel jumping into GPUs. I feel like we'll eventually see them with some more standalone parts for those PCs if you do want to build them yourself. But for now, starting the kickoff here with Arc A. Over to acquisitions. Just a couple this week. Netflix has acquired their third game studio. That is Boss Fight Entertainment. Uh, John, I don't have too much information on them. They're most known for Dungeon Boss. Really popular mobile game on iOS and Google Play. And one thing we continue to see with not only Netflix, but a bunch of different people, is looking at what mobile IPs they have or what IPs they think will translate well to mobile, whether it's Microsoft, PlayStation, obviously Tencent, who acquires everyone, it feels like. Uh, a lot of these people looking to shift more to that mobile market because there's so much money right now in mobile gaming. Uh, this is another move like that. Whether we end up seeing games from Boss Fight on Netflix in their catalog on Roku players or Apple TVs, or if we just see them kind of dive more into the mobile market itself. Uh, it seems like this is a decent acquisition. I feel like Boss Fight has a lot still to prove, in my humble opinion, though. Anything else on Boss Fight or Netflix acquiring people? It's still weird that Netflix is acquiring gaming studios. It's, it's, I don't like it. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's definitely a weird place to be. Obviously, Amazon and Google kind of shifted the industry a little bit, but Netflix now getting involved as well just adds another layer to this gaming onion. So we'll keep an eye on them for now. Uh, the other acquisition in the news is one that hits home a little bit farther to us. NetEase is set to acquire Quantic Dream. Uh, we've talked about Quantic Dream quite a bit, a lot of issues going on with that studio. We know they have somewhere around three projects in the works right now. One of those being Star Wars Eclipse, the first Star Wars game set in the High Republic, depending when any other ones might launch. Uh, this is a game a lot of people were excited about initially. 
until word got out about all the developer issues going on behind the scenes at Quantic Dream. So now there is a big blackout Star Wars Eclipse movement out there among Star Wars fans. At the same point, we haven't seen anything from Lucasfilm about stopping production over there. So for now, that is continuing on with that game set to drop sometime around 2025, 2026 at the earliest. I don't really have too many thoughts on NetEase coming in to acquire them. Uh, ideally, with a lot of these acquisitions, especially Activision, Blizzard, and Microsoft, I'm hoping to see these companies cleaned up, and maybe this is another case of that as well. Yeah, and, and for the sake of, of Star Wars gaming fans out there, especially fans of the High Republic, you know, obviously the, the Star Wars fandom is a very diverse uh, fandom, and, and it should be celebrated. And obviously when Quantic Dream came out as the publisher uh, of Star Wars Eclipse, and all that dirt came out with it, a lot of people were very upset for, for very just reasons. Um, it'll be interesting to see if this kind of soothes that, that uh, uh, you know, that feeling with this, with this studio developing a Star Wars High Republic game over. We'll see if, uh, you know, that will be enough to stop the boycott. Uh, not saying it should or shouldn't, just be. Oh, it's going to be interesting to see. There's an acquisition coming. Acquisitions usually tend to clean up uh, the garbage that is currently in place. So it'll be kind of interesting to see if that's what happens. Uh, a lot of people have an issue with the CEO of, of Quantic Dream, so uh, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, well, yeah, we'll just see where that whole thing stands once this thing is finalized. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things with acquisitions. Like, sure, there's negatives about the possible consolidation of the industry, depending on how they all shake out. Uh, NetEase, I do expect to pretty much publish everywhere, though. I would be surprised if they get bought out by one of the big ones. Uh, maybe Tencent, if anyone. Um, but overall, I do expect all these games to still drop pretty much everywhere, depending on publishing agreements. And Quantic Dream, at least for now, it seems like they will continue on that Star Wars game. Next up, just a quick hit here and a little bit of a clap to Capcom. Ahead of its reporting, its expected fifth consecutive year in a row of record profits, Capcom is raising its employees' base salaries in Japan by 30%. This is huge. I think anytime a raise comes across, uh, especially a big raise like that that's affecting so many employees, I think is great for the business. Uh, gaming right now is booming. We've seen it continue to turn big revenue this year, a little bit down overall compared to 2020 and 2021, uh, with the pandemic really boosting that up a ton. At the same point, we've seen other studios and other developers and publishers come out with big profits and then end up cutting back studios, cutting back employees, uh, letting people go. Capcom pretty much saying, hey, we've got here with you guys. We're going to further invest in you guys. Uh, they were a little bit lower than some of the other studios to begin with, so this does bring them a little bit closer to that average overall. At the same point, a studio-wide 30% increase I think is a big deal. So I think that's huge for Capcom, and I'm glad to see them continuing to follow through with these improvements. Uh, is this something I can send to to my corporation that I work for to see if they can <laughs> give me a 30% raise because they've had profits also? That's insane. 30%. 30% raise. That is a massive, massive raise. Uh, kudos to Capcom for doing that. That's a, That's awesome. And I think it's big because it's not just the executive board. Like a lot of these situations, yeah. someone does well, the stockholders say, okay, Bobby Kotick gets his bonus or whoever it is at the top of the list. And now this one really focusing on those lower level employees or those grunt workers, those beginners, those starting developers, pretty much anyone just coming into the industry, whether they're quality assurance, whether they're senior developers or young developers just getting a hold of everything, uh, this is kind of all-encompassing. And I think that's something that with a lot of these raises typically leaves out a lot of those lower-end employees at the beginning of their careers. 
Next up, John, this one is much more on your side because, again, you are definitely the tech guy here. Xbox has unveiled a new publishing division focused on cloud-native games. We've seen a little bit of this technology before. I think it started out, I want to say it was, um, oh, I can't think of the name of that game. Not Cyberpunk, Cry, Cry, no, not Crisis. Uh, Crackdown, Crackdown 3 was one of the first games to use this technology. Uh, they ended up building it where you could pretty much have this endless destruction because it was cloud-based, and this was years ago. It had to be five, seven, maybe even more years ago at this point. And it was cool. It was a cool mode, cool development. The game itself kind of fell flat overall. But now that we're moving into this new gen technology, Azure, those servers for cloud, much stronger as well. I mean, if you guys have played xCloud recently or NVIDIA GeForce Now, cloud streaming is getting much better and a lot stronger. The latency is really cutting down as well. So I think this opens up a lot of possibilities. When you look at servers right now, like Sea of Thieves, for example, they currently allow six ships on a server at a time. If you add like cloud nativity into this, if you allow a lot more nativeness in the cloud, you can pretty much expand that. You can have 12 ships, 20 ships, maybe 50, 100 ships, depending on how big your servers are. So this really opens up the possibilities for developers to say, hey, if we're going to do an MMO, why split everyone up into all these different servers? when we can maybe have two major servers or three major servers as opposed to 20 or 30 or 40 major servers. So to me, this makes multiplayer a lot more interesting for those bigger like MMO style games. And I think eventually we get to some wild, big, giant type of games eventually down the road. The crazy thing with cloud gaming is it's still incredibly new. We're just scratching the surface on what cloud gaming is really capable of doing. Um, you know, if you take a look at the history of technology, if you go back uh, to your history books in school real quick and you turn back to the 1960s and the 1970s, computers took up entire rooms. We're talking, you know, your entire basement level of your house, your the entire master bedroom size of your house full of nothing but a computer that could do basic math equations, that could do basic... Uh, arithmetic, basic, uh, you know, just very basic uh, commands. Fast forward 20 years from that. We're talking the 1980s now. Uh, we're looking at personal home computers. We're, we're talking 256 megabyte computers the size of your current tower, because that's something that hasn't changed very much, uh, in your home with an operating system, with video games. Uh, turn the page into the 1990s. Uh, you have it, the advancement from the 50s and 60s to the 80s uh, was massive. From the 80s to the 90s was five times, if not 10 times as fast than what we saw from there. And it's only been getting faster. The idea of cloud gaming is absolutely insane. Joey, like a year and a half ago, we were slamming Google because their cloud-based system was an absolute joke. The latency it wasn't worth playing. It wasn't worth money. It wasn't worth doing absolutely anything on that platform. Now here we are in 2022, barely a year and a half, two years later after the launch of that, and we're seeing how cloud gaming has expanded five times over already. It's going to keep going. The, uh, the possibilities are endless when it comes to cloud gaming. Get excited. The future is happening right here in front of us, gamers. I mean, this is absolutely insane it's going to change the way we game and do business in the worldwide going forward 
absolutely. And again, this is not just streaming to a device, streaming to a mobile device. This is actually building games within this cloud. And I think, John, you started to touch on this a bit, is it's just, it opens up so many possibilities, whether it's destroying buildings and just cutting little pieces out here and there. And you see some of that destruction in games like Battlefield 2042, but imagine that on the scale of like a World of Warcraft, this giant world where you can have these different buildings being cut down because they're running on hundreds upon hundreds of servers in the cloud. And this ability is only available in this kind of cloud technology because otherwise you're hampered down by servers, you're hampered down by hardware, you're hampered down by a lot of different factors. With this, it kind of opens it up. You can have more players. The machine learning can increase. Uh, imagine the AI scale you can have. Like for the Battle Royale fans out there, I know John and I are not the biggest Battle Royale fans, but imagine going from, I think the biggest one now is like 150 players. This opens up the possibility of thousands of players, if not tens of thousands of players, if done right. So there's tons of different possibilities here on top of all the cool PvE stuff you can build into the environment and destructibility. It's just, as John said, it's in its infancy. We've seen little bits like the Destruction Zone or whatever it was called in Crackdown 3, and that was years ago. Now we have a whole publishing branch to this. There's rumors of Ko Kojima, or Kojima, however you want to pronounce it, uh, working, a legendary developer working in this system, trying to build this cool cloud-based game. There's so many other cool ideas with this as well. So I think it's something we're going to see down the road. Maybe we get teases in near years, but I don't think we'll see much until toward the end of the decade. Anything else on cloud gaming, good sir? I'm pretty hyped, to be honest. I just think it's a little ways away. You said the end of the decade, and I quickly looked down to the corner of my, my desktop, and I was like, it's 2022. Like, that's like seven, eight years away. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I think five years at the minimum, probably closer to seven to eight. Yeah. But we'll have to see. You never know. Uh, again, the crackdown thing was like seven years ago a show at this point, so maybe they've been working on it behind the scenes. Maybe there yeah, is more to be shown coming sooner than later. This is true. Well, I guess Flight Sim technically uses a ton of this. That's probably the most yeah. recent. I think a lot of Flight Sim stuff is cloud. I mean, otherwise, that game that's already absolutely massive on your console and right. or PC... <laughs> would be like eight times the size and we're talking like like over a terabyte <laughs> it's just it's so much it's so she much. big she big but the cloud systems the weather stuff is all very cool so if you guys want to see this at its highest level uh that's probably the best place to go at least at this point i don't know if forza uses any as well but i know flight sim definitely utilizes it Next up is a little bit of some Game Pass updates. This first one, just a quick hit. PC Game Pass is expanding in Asia. John, we're talking Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Thailand, and Vietnam, all getting access to it starting this week with a beta program. Then eventually it will roll into a full program, similar to what it did here in North America. Really cool. Uh, I think more access to gamers is always a great thing. And it seems like Microsoft continued to pour money into Asia as they continue to look for expansion there. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with this. I think this is a big win for all gamers around. And again, as cloud becomes more and more prominent, I think we're going to see more and more expansion, not only from Microsoft, but all the cloud carriers as well. Yeah, the Game Pass is just so freaking good. It's it's absolutely insane. And again, Joey, we were, we we're talking a little bit earlier today about the whole Xbox Game Pass and just Xbox versus Sony in general. And again, as someone who just recently came to the Xbox ecosystem from Sony, from a lifetime of Sony, it's just it, it's it's so weird, like how Microsoft right now in this generation, granted, you know, I wasn't really around for, you know, the, the, the whole 360 and, and, and series one and the original Xbox. Like I was there. Yes, obviously. But I wasn't with the console playing the console in that community and everything else so it's just 
it's it really is night and day, and it, it's kind of weird. Again, it's not a knock against the PlayStation Five; it's an amazing console. It's just a very different feel of a community versus the the PlayStation side of it, and it really centers around this crazy idea of the Game Pass, whether it's the PC Game Pass or just the console Game Pass or both. In Ultimate, it is absolutely mental, and I love it. Well, John, keep that energy up because the next thing we're going to talk about is coming from Windows Central. Xbox Game Pass supposedly is going to get a family plan. This has been something a lot of people have requested for a long time. We see similar things with Netflix and Disney Plus and a lot of these TV streaming services currently, though some of them are cracking down. Hey, Netflix, we see you. Uh, but in the end, I think this is a good move, and I know you over there have worked with your your sister as well as your nephew on the different parental controls apps and all that available. Now taking it even a step further with the family plan, I think is a big win overall. Yeah, so it's it's funny because uh, when we were talking about this earlier today, I sent this article to my sister who, uh, you know, her, her son, my nephew, is, is a big gamer. Her husband's a gamer. Uh, they both have an Xbox. They both play constantly. So my sister, first off, uh, all those years you made fun of me for playing video games. Well, guess what? You're married to a gamer now, so I have zero sympathy for you. Uh, <laughs> but the good news is, is what this will do is one Game Pass, both consoles in that household. That's the way you save money. Uh, I, I think it's great. I, I, th- this needs to happen. You know, stop making it a rumor, make it a reality. It's such a great idea, and you could probably even charge $5 more, and people would be like, I'm still saving money. Uh, I'm not saying I want you to charge $5 more, but I'm <laughs> saying you could get away with it. Uh, I think it's great. The family plan is fantastic, and it gives another positive light to Xbox, to the Game Pass, especially, like you said, Joey, when we hear Netflix coming out saying, hey, not only are we going to raise your monthly subscription by another $5 six months after we did it before, but we're also going to start cracking down on account sharing because, you know what, when Netflix finally gets to $75 a month, we want to make sure only the people inside your household are the only ones getting screwed over. So, uh, yeah, Netflix, that's not cool. Xbox, hey, this is a great idea. Let's show Netflix how it's done. Now, there are some factors we don't know yet. We don't know pricing. We don't know too much. It sounds like from the article with Jez here, uh, it will be about five consoles that are included, and it does sound like it'll probably be region locked. So with it being region locked, it's not technically locked to the household either. So there could possibly be some of that account sharing or password sharing uh, between family members that might be farther out. Uh, I just I don't know exactly what it's going to look like until Microsoft officially announces it. But this could mean a group of five friends get together and say, hey, we're going to go in on a plan together. Maybe it costs 20, 25 or whatever a month, depending because it is that five console minimum or maximum or whatever. Um, again, we don't know till pricing. We don't know 100 percent till any of this comes out. But I think that's another viable option is getting together with friends or maybe you have uncles or aunts or whoever that also game. And then you become like a little family plan that way. Uh, again, they're probably going to tell you to lock it to the household, but I don't know if they're going to be super strict about that either. I mean, it, what is more gamer than something being region locked in video games? I mean, <laughs> l- l- let's go back to the N64. Let's go back to the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, where you had the the Western version of, of Mario, Super Mario Brothers, of Star Fox, of GoldenEye, uh, of, of all these different games. And then you had... The Eastern version, the, the Japanese version, the, the, the Korea and main continent Asia version 
of these games that were all locked behind the region. You had the same thing with Europe. You had European locked games where if you went online during eBay's infancy and you bought you know, uh, a Final Fantasy game directly from somebody in Japan and you played it on your North American locked PlayStation, guess what? You're not going to be playing it because it is region locked. Uh, so yes, region lock is a term gamers know. I think it's absolutely ironic. But then again, let's be real here. If you have Game Pass, I mean, we all have friends all over the world that we play video games with. You're probably not going to do that. Uh, so the region lock here makes a little bit more sense than that. Uh, but it's just it's just so cool seeing that term being used again just now in in this case. And honestly, I think the region lock probably becomes mainly because the pricing differs. Exactly. Like the pricing in England versus the pricing in Germany versus India versus the United States. Uh, it varies depending on the region and depending on really the affordability for the program in that area. And I think they're trying to keep it as local as they can to kind of make it affordable for the people in those particular regions. So I really think it's more like that than anything else. Because otherwise, if we have a friend over in India and he gets it for two ninety nine a month, we're going to say, yeah, we're 100% going to join his plan. Why not? Um, but over here, it obviously is a little bit more expensive than some of the other countries in Europe. Love that exchange rate. <laughs> <laughs> it is good times. Asia, Europe, North America, all of you guys, eventually you'll have Game Pass available and possibly that family plan as well. Next up, John, building walls and taking them down is no longer a thing, at least in the no build mode queue for Fortnite. I think it's called zero build or something like that, I believe is what they ended up going with in the end. This was a little bit of an event that they tried out initially. A lot of people liked it. You saw big streamers like Ninja, like Dr. Disrespect, like Tim the Tapman going back and actually playing Fortnite and then coming out and saying they actually enjoyed Fortnite again. I think this is a big move by Epic. I think a lot of us saw this coming in the end. It was teased for months, it feels like, at this point. Then once it came out and it was getting so much popular respect, it felt like this was going to become a permanent mode. Now it is moving that way. Fortnite Zero build is in the game to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. And I absolutely love it because social media is so split on this based upon <laughs> generations, and it's great. Uh, a buddy of mine from high school reached out and was like, it's like, oh, I may actually download this now. And then, you know, one of my friends that happens to be a Gen Zer goes, goes, oh, why can't you guys just learn how to build? And it's like, <laughs> building sucks. No one likes building. It, like, it very much became millennials versus Gen Z when it came to building in Fortnite. Joey, as a millennial, I hated building. It was the entire reason I stopped playing Fortnite. I, had, I want nothing to do with it. Is this enough to bring the millennials back, Joey? Is this enough for you to re-download, for me to reinstall, for the rest of the millennial pop population to say, you know what, we're going to come back and wreck some Gen Z noobs in Fortnite now that we don't have to fire a shot and then quickly build 80 stories up in the sky to try to stay alive? Probably not. I'm, I have no desire to come back to Fortnite, but I will say it did, it did pique my interest here a little bit. Uh, but other than that, I, I think this is a great move uh, for Fortnite. I, I think at least offering it in a game mode is a great way to recover some of those players that got frustrated with building. Uh, yes, I understand. Building in Fortnite is a skill. People practice it. I totally understand it, and I totally respect that style of play. But this is something Fortnite should have thought of years ago when Fortnite really started blowing up. The difference between a build mode and a non-build mode, I'm glad that now, Joey, in March of 2022, in the year of our gaming lord, we now have zero build, more, zero build mode in Fortnite. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant decision. And as you said, it's long overdue. Why hit one population when you can hit two? Now you get those Gen Zers. Now you get the millennials. You can bring them both in. Maybe for your comp scene, you keep one. Or maybe you split it up as well and say, hey, let's have two competing scenes. I mean, who's it really going to hurt in the end? Then if you want, put the champions against each other. I'll guarantee you the building one probably wins in the end. But hey, yeah. you could at least try it. I mean, when it comes down to it, I get the argument. A lot of the Gen Z population saying, hey, this is what made Fortnite unique. This is why we ended up playing the game. The building definitely adds a different aspect to it. And it is fun. I mean, we've commentated it before. We've watched it. We've been destroyed by it. Uh, it's an interesting experience. I was not a big fan of building. Uh, I feel like when I land one bullet and then the Taj Mahal is just built up in front of me, it's like, okay, what am I playing? An architectural game? I feel like what Zombie the Bridge Constructor or whatever the heck that game was at the Game Awards that one year. Uh, in the end, I'm more for the gun mechanics. Third-person shooting, I think, is a lot of fun. Give me the gun mechanics. Give me a variety of guns and weapons to play with, and then let's get it done. Uh, when I was playing Fortnite back in the day, it's like, okay, half of my game is going to be swinging this pickaxe at this tree and then this wall and seeing what I can build later on as I slowly move my controller and keyboard or whatever I'm on dying while I'm trying to build this thing at the slowest pace of a snail. So, yeah, for me, for many millennials out there, no build mode is the way to go, as you said. For the Gen Zers who want that added really skill involved with building, I think it's great that it's still out there as well. Uh, but I don't really see any harm in having two cues overall, in my humble opinion. No, I mean, and look, let's be honest here. It's mainly because our fingers don't move that fast anymore. Like we just can't. For real though, <laughs> we just can't slam buttons on. Like, you're sitting here playing with your. It's like it's like oh, I got it. Okay, eighteen different. Okay, and it's like after all of this, we're like two stories off the ground, and like some twelve year old kid is like like you said Taj Mahal in it, and we're just like. Oh, we're not going to win this. They have the high ground. Like, if we learned anything from Anakin versus Obi-Wan in episode three, <laughs> we're not going to win. Like, this is not good. Like, what are we doing here? I, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy to me how quick. And not only just, like, the reflexes, but also just the thinking. Like, you and I have pretty quick-witted when it comes to humor. But the ability to think <laughs> through all those blueprints that they do at the pace they do is just For astounding real. to me. Yeah. And, like, obviously, you know, there, there's, a, there's a quick, successful pattern on how you build uh, like obviously most of the time you don't build a complete box you just build up on the side the person shooting you from like totally get that uh, and you have to collect the supplies and everything to do all that like there is a skill to it but at the end of the day uh, you know there's just something about good old fashioned cartoon gun violence and uh, that <laughs> that's what millennials are here for <laughs> like just we don't want to build just let us kill each other's cartoon avatar that's all we want to do Hey, pot of luck. Welcome to the chat. We're talking Fortnite. Uh, anything else you want to touch on here with no build mode? So, John, as of yet, you've not redownloaded, correct? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the temptation. I might eventually give in. I mean, part of my resistance is I've missed so many characters and so many events, and it's like, oh, I'm just so far behind. Like, is it worth going back in? But at the same point, the idea of killing Panic and Pat many times does sound quite astounding. Yeah. So I, I'm a little split at the moment. So, like, for me, Joey, like, we all know I have a condition uh, where I see microtransactions in a store uh, for a video <laughs> game. And I, and I justify spending $2 here or $3 here or maybe $5 for this rare skin that's a limited time release. And then we fast forward a couple years and I'm like League of Legends where it's like, hey, you want to see how much you've spent on this free video game <laughs> over the years? And I'm dumb enough to click on it, and instantly my depression comes back. And I'm like, you know what? I should not have clicked on that because now I feel bad. Um, yeah, so there's that. And also, I am so tied up in other games, Joey. Just 
uh, with all the different games and all the different battle passes, it's like Fortnite has been out of my mind so much that it's very hard to justify bringing it back with my current rotation of games. And Joey, I mean, let's not forget, next Tuesday, MLB The Show 22 comes out. And if there's one thing I absolutely love, it is some MLB The Show on Xbox because it's a part of the damn Game Pass and I don't have to pay $70 for it. I am so sorry, Sony PlayStation boys out there, boys and girls. Uh, it's That's just... Um it sucks. It sucks. But, Joey, I have to fit that game into my rotation next. World of Warcraft is getting their next expansion. I just don't have time for Fortnite. That's what it really comes down to. Yeah, it's going to be a few months later. But when the new PlayStation Plus launches, I think that MLB The Show will probably be slipped into there, if not earlier. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. But it might be a little bit cheaper for those who wait it out on the PlayStation platform. Unfortunately, if you want to dive in for opening day, you probably will have to pay that price tag. Next up in the news, John, the sequel to Zelda Breath of the Wild, not going to be called Zelda Breath of the Wild 2, even though a lot of people want to run with that title. It has been delayed to spring 2023. We do have a little bit of new footage here. They came out in a video statement. They talked a little bit about some of the trouble with development, not getting too, too deep into it. And then eventually saying, hey, to get this to the state we want it at, we're going to wait. We're going to hold it off another six months or so to spring 2023. We do get a little of that footage coming into this next version. Uh, overall, John, this game supposedly was originally supposed to drop in 2020. COVID obviously having a big effect on a lot of studios, especially in Asia. Ended up delaying this one quite a bit. Then it was supposed to drop later this year and now again delayed to 2023. With all that given extra time, obviously COVID having that effect, cutting down some of that development, I do expect this game to be even more ambitious than the first. Uh, Joey, so like I, f I feel like gamers are very uh, understanding of the pandemic and things being delayed and everything. And I get that. Um, but with Zelda fans... They're a different breed of gamer. Uh, they are very passionate about their games. They have been waiting. They know this game was supposed to come out in 2020. And they're like, you know what? Yeah, okay, Pandemic 2021. Okay, it's fine. Yeah, Pandemic 2022. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Pandemic. Let's keep using it. 2023, why not? Um, I, it really needs to be a home run of a game. It really does. It, it is what it really needs to come down to. Is, is this game has to be one of the best, if not the best version of any Zelda game possible. Uh, if you're going to delay it for, for three years uh, is, is what it really comes down to. Yes, taking the pandemic into consideration, you still have to put together a product. Um, not saying that, you know, launching a bad product, then patching it and fixing it as time goes on, a la No Man's Sky and um, Cyberpunk. Uh, but that is a habit we don't want gaming studios to get into. Putting out 30, 40% finished games and then, you know, forcing the gamer to accept, you know, waiting 14, 16, 18 months for 42 gig pat mini patches to come out to fix your game along with 38 pages of notes, of patch notes of, of what's going to be fixed. It's got to be close to completion. It's got to be good graphically, story-wise, everything about it needs to be good zelda fans deserve it it's it's a game that stretches generations they have to do this right i don't think they can afford another delay after spring 2023 i feel like that is almost the line in the sand for this game yeah and i think that's it i mean before we had 2022 they didn't technically say holiday 2022 it was just assumed that that was the case now we've cut it down to not only a year but also the season 
So I do think spring 2023 sticks. And also, I think this makes it the front runner for game of the year in 2023 as well. There's going to be a number of other good games. Uh, I think God of War Ragnarok still makes it out in 2022. If it gets pushed, then it probably becomes one of the favorites up there as well. Um, I do think it makes it out in 2022, though. Then for 2023, you have like a Vowed from Obsidian. That should be a good one up there. Some other Nintendo stuff that hasn't been announced yet. Uh, there's a number of different projects being floated around as well as some PlayStation stuff too. So we'll have to see what it looks like. But as far as frontrunners go, Elden Ring came in as one of the big strong ones alongside Starfield for 2022. And then God of War Ragnarok as well from PlayStation. And then for 2023, there haven't been a ton of frontrunners as of yet. But I think this instantly puts Breath of the Wild at the top of that list. Uh, after the juggernauts of God of War Ragnarok, Starfield, and Elden Ring from this year. So it'll be exciting to look forward to that. And we'll have to wait a little bit longer as fans will as well for 2023. Next up is a partnership, John. I feel like we talked about this like six months, maybe even farther ago. Uh, Xbox and Tencent's Timmy Studios made a little deal for some mobile game action. We do have at least the first version of that coming out, possibly more in the works. We really don't know at this point. But Tencent's Timmy Studios has released a mobile version of Age of Empires, which just thinking about gives me a little bit of a headache, imagining trying to do all those movements on a mobile device. Uh, this one's called Return to Empire. And it's only been released in China so far, possibly releasing worldwide, but we really don't know at this point in time. Uh, again, it was a collaboration with Xbox, and it so far has debuted as number one in China on the iOS game download chart, and is already a top 10 grossing game as well over there. Uh, so, John, it's super successful. Uh, the idea of trying to play an RTS on mobile, again, hurts my mind, hurts my fingers, my no-build fingers over here. Um, but what are your thoughts on this game, and so far apparently doing fantastically well over in China? Joey, that pain you feel in your fingers and that headache you feel in your head from trying to uh, wrap your mind around an RTS on a mobile device uh, is the same feeling I get anytime I play a mobile game. Um, <laughs> I got big hands, Joey, uh, and I have an iPhone Pro Max, and it's like it. I just I know I I have zero idea how people do this. Obviously, you use a controller. You know, you can obviously connect it via Bluetooth. All other fun stuff. You have options out there. I understand that. Uh, I think it's great uh, for mobile gamers out there. Uh, that is a very large population that enjoy playing mobile games, and that's a com completely fine thing. If if that is your thing, is you know you have the time to play mobile games, dedicate the time uh, for it. Awesome. By all means, go for it. Um, I think it's great that this is debuting number one on the iOS game chart for for uh, Chinese downloads. I think that's great. It's it's a fantastic game. Uh, Joey, you and I talk about it all the time. It's it's just a very well-rounded game that, you know, one of the big criticisms was those mini documentaries they slipped into the game. That's something you and I and a lot and a good chunk of, of the OTN community actually enjoy uh, when playing that game or watching people play that game. It's such it's just it's a very unique game that really stands out from every other RTS and really other any other game and mobile game on the market right now. It's just, it's so unique in what it brings to the table or mobile device in this case. Um, I just, I, I think it's great. And I think this is a great sign uh, for, for age of empires on mobile devices going forward. Absolutely. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. If it does get a global release, at least for now, it will be sticking with China. John, that brings us to one of the bigger topics on today's show. PlayStation's very interesting week, according to kind of funny's Greg Miller. 
At the beginning of the week, he ended up coming out and saying, hey, we're going to move the podcast that's PlayStation focused to the later side of the week onto Thursday because he heard one to three different rumors that could come true this week. Uh, a lot of possibility there and a lot of excitement around these. That ended up sending really the internet into a spiral. You had fans of PlayStation, fans of Xbox, gaming fans in general, just kind of speculating on what this could mean. Is it a huge acquisition? Is it Project Spartacus that Bloomberg talked about a couple weeks ago? Are we diving further into PSVR? Are we looking at God of War Ragnarok, new footage? What is coming this week? And no one really had much of an idea outside of Project Spartacus. So kicking things off, number one was Project Spartacus. This was announced, I believe, initially by Bloomberg in December of 2021. Then we did get a new article this past week saying, hey, it could drop as early as next week, which at the time would have been this week, which it did end up dropping. And this is going to be pretty cool for PlayStation fans. It's a revamped subscription service that in the end is going to merge PlayStation Plus and PS Now into a service that is going to offer a little bit more than both of them do at the moment, obviously with that merger being a big effect of that. Uh, in the end, John, this looks pretty good to me. I, I think the comparisons with Game Pass are poor. When it comes to pricing, the annual price for this is amazing compared to Game Pass, but when it comes to the actual service, it's just too different for a one-to-one -one comparison, in my opinion. Uh, I think both can thrive, really, upon their platforms, and I don't think they necessarily need to be put head-to-head -head in that sense. Overall, though, this looks great. 700 games available, depending on what tier you end up going with. There are three tiers. Uh, we talked about them a little bit before based on what Jeff Grubb had said a couple months ago. But tier one, for those listening, we're just going to go through the United States pricing, is $9.99 a month or $60 for the year. This is pretty much your basic PlayStation Plus as of right now. You get two to three monthly downloadable games, exclusive discounts, cloud storage for your save games, and then the online multiplayer access. So pretty much your standard, if you're into multiplayer games or want online access, this is going to be the tier that you at least go with here with the PlayStation Plus Essential. Next up is the PlayStation Plus Extra. Uh, this, to me, is probably one of the best tiers and probably the, the tier that most people will end up going with. Uh, it's going to provide all the benefits of the Essential tier plus add a catalog of 400 of the most enjoyable PS4 and PS5 games. So this gets a little bit more into that Game Pass slash Nintendo Switch Online territory uh, with a lot of games available but heavily first-party offered. There will be some third-party games involved here as well, but again, the bulk of that catalog being PS4 and PS5 games. The price on this one is $15 a month or $100 a year. Again, this is something Game Pass does not offer is that annual pricing. And I think it's a very good move here from Sony. The last tier, John, before I turn it over to you, PlayStation Plus Premium. This is going to be everything from the Essential and Extra tiers. But on top of that, you're going to get 340 additional games. These include PS3 games that are available via cloud streaming. Uh, this has been kind of nailed online by PlayStation fans and other fans alike. Uh, they're not happy that this is not natively available. At the same point, guys, cloud streaming is getting better and better, so I really don't have a ton of issues with this, as a lot of people do. Uh, I don't think it'll be that big of a deal in the end. And then you have some normal PlayStation, PS2, and PSP games. Then you have cloud streaming access, so similar to the Game Pass Premium users as well as NVIDIA GeForce Now users, you can get your cloud gaming. Again, I think it's getting better and better and more people are going to want that part of the tier. And then last but not least, this one falls short for me. Uh, they are going to gatekeep time-limited game trials in here as well. That seems goofy to me. There's so many free demos out there. Uh, but maybe this is for the premium first-party PlayStation games that maybe didn't have demos before. Uh, I don't know if God of War or The Last of Us or games like that had demos before. This could be where you eventually see them, maybe an eight-hour demo or whatever it ends up being. 
Um, but in the end, this one's going to run $17.99 a month or $120 yearly. Uh, compared to the top tier of Game Pass is about $180 a year. So this does fall short of that by about $60. So in the end, you do save more, you get access to more games, not as many third-party games, um, but in terms of first-party, we know PlayStation is rich with IP, and they definitely have a lot going for them there. So these are your three tiers. John, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Again, essential, extra, and premium here coming out from PlayStation Plus. Uh, um, would this have kept me in the PlayStation ecosystem? No, it probably wouldn't have. Um, and I, I think the big thing here is um, the fact that it doesn't include new releases. Like, I, I think it's great that you get this catalog of games. I think, I think it's fantastic. Um, honestly, the, the premium, I'm not even upset with that pricing. I mean, if you're going to go back and you can even get PS3 and PS2 games, you know, granted, maybe a limited catalog. Uh, but cloud-based versions of those games, I'm completely cool with that, too. I think $18 a month is a great price. Um, the part that irritates me is that limited-time trial of what w we can assume is going to be those those first-party games, those, those uh, premium games that are coming out that if you want to play, you have to pay full price. And, and PlayStation even talked about this, thinking that if they included these premium games in this game pass it might be detrimental to uh you know their income or or the developer and we're seeing the opposite of that with xbox game pass so i'm kind of curious to see their numbers on that um but i i think this is a step in the right direction for sony i, I, th I think it's moving in that direction where eventually one day whether it's this year next year five years from now Sony's going to have a version of what we see on the Xbox Game Pass that will include newly released games at launch. It's just a matter of time because the developers are going to start demanding it. They're going to start saying, hey, look, we see our numbers on Xbox. They're crushing it. We want to crush it on PlayStation also. Uh, Joey, we, we talk about I'll use MLB The Show again as an example here. Last year was the first year... MLB The Show was on Xbox. It was automatically included day one in the Xbox Game Pass. That is a $60 game. That is a game I have paid $60 plus for every single year on PlayStation for years. For years. And it was one of the games I was going to miss when I switched over to Xbox. Now that it's on Xbox and it's free, I spent more money buying packs, buying stubs, getting equipment, in MLB The Show than I ever have before when I had to drop $60, $70, $80, $90 for whatever version I got of the show because it was just hard to justify dropping $80, $90 for a game and then continuing to buy uh, other packs and other stubs using real-life currency to press my luck a little bit uh, in that game. Um, but when the game's free, when it's included in a subscription service like that, you're not spending as much money and you're having more fun because you're playing the game the way you, the gamer, want to play it. Um, I, I feel like that is kind of the big difference between these two ideas, between the Game Pass and Sony PlayStation. And Sony PlayStation is worried that they're going to lose all the income from the full-priced games, where in reality, Xbox is enjoying, and the developers are enjoying, 
the increased revenue that may not have been there had they charged full price for the game. Yeah, I think it's an interesting generation overall because they're both kind of playing catch up in certain areas. Yes. When you look at services and when you look at uh, really technology in general in the console, Xbox is farther ahead in certain things like Xbox velocity architecture and at SSD. Sony is pretty far ahead in that area. And then you look at like the um, the quick resume features that Xbox have, the cloud saves and the ability to transfer those from PC to Xbox to phone and really back and forth. They're kind of ahead in that area. When you look at first party action adventure games, Sony is dominating that. Uh, it's not even a contest. Xbox has very few of those right now, and that's what Sony's known for. I mean, you look at Horizon Forbidden West. You look at Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, The Last of Us. They have so many. Spider-Man, another one. Uh, they've just really killed that genre of game, and they've been known as the top, really, maker of that genre for many years now. When it comes to Xbox, you see them buying studios. You see them starting to invest in that area. When you look at Sony, the multiplayer aspect, Xbox has always dominated multiplayer between the two. Now Sony's investing more in multiplayer games and multiplayer studios. So I think because of it, because we have this competition, this healthy competition between them, you continue to see them build one another up. And they're working together against Amazon and Google as well. And I think a lot of fanboys don't notice this. There's contracts being signed between both of them. Sure, Sony signs deals and says, hey, you can't put this game on Game Pass. But at the same point, they're also signing big multi-million dollar deals with Microsoft to use the Azure servers. So there's back and forth, there's competition, but there's also breeding of really iron sharpening iron in a sense between the two. So I think overall, it's a great move. Uh, I think, as you said, John, this kind of gets them into that subscription service and moves PS Now and PS Plus forward in a joint effort. And maybe we don't see first-party games on their day one, and maybe we never will, but I do think eventually we get closer and closer to that as the subscriber count eventually goes up here. And I think one of the hesitations is PS Now is not doing very well right now. I think it has like 3 million to 5 million subscribers versus a Game Pass that has like 25 million right now. If PS Now with this new PS Plus merger can start getting some of those subscriber numbers, then hey, maybe it's a lot easier to say, let's put these on here first party day one because we'll make it back in microtransactions or whatever it ends up being. Um, but in the end, at least for now, there will be no first party titles or at least big first party titles being advertised for the service. I do expect some third party ones to probably slide in there. Probably some of the smaller Sony games, even if there's more of a double A style game uh, like Destruction All Stars or Bug Snacks or things like that uh, that they've made deals for in the past, I could see on here day one. Um, but yeah, for now, that is not the case. I think price wise, though, the monthly tiers are a little high for me, but the annual prices I think are pretty great. Yeah. Uh, Joey, here's your fun fact of the day something you said triggered this, right? So, how Sony and Microsoft are, are working together for the whole Azure thing. Uh, that happens a lot more in the real world than a lot of people think. Just because you're a competitor doesn't mean at the end of the day there's not a bottom line to what you need to bring in. Um, prime example, for all of our Microsoft Flight Simulator friends out there, for all the aviation nerds out there, and Joey, because you asked me aviation questions earlier this week, <laughs> the Boeing 787 Dreamliner, uh, I believe it's about 30% of that aircraft is built by Airbus. Oh. Airbus actually manufactures close to 30% of the Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Uh, it's mutually beneficial. Airbus had a technology when it came to lightweight fuel silage and uh, emergency doors on aircraft that Boeing just could not replicate. Boeing wanted the technology because they wanted a better experience for the passengers, so they paid Airbus to create those parts for the airplane. Airbus has income coming in. 
uh, and Boeing gets what they want on their signature Dreamliner, the 787. Uh, and it works. It worked out for both parties. It's still working out for both parties. And that's what we're seeing with Sony and Microsoft. Just another analogy there, Joey, because it popped into my mind. So I'm going to share it with Level Up Nation. Now, I love it. You took us on a flight there, a little virtual mm. flight through the airline industry. But it's a great reason. I mean, as you said, it's something we see a lot just in general industries that working together. And a lot of people, uh, whether they be ravenous fans of either side, Xbox or PlayStation, sometimes forget about these other deals being made in the side here. Uh, even with Bungie, with the acquisition of Bungie, PlayStation has agreed to allow them to continue to publish wherever they want to. So that means Xbox as well. And if I'm Sony, and I think eventually we see more people move this direction, to be completely honest. If I'm Sony, I want those microtransactions. Like, where is Destiny making its money? It's not making its money on Destiny anymore. It's free to play. But it's making it on those stupid microtransactions. Look at Fortnite. I mean, they've raised, what, $100 million in the last week for the whole Ukraine effort over there? And it's just purely giving a percentage of those microtransactions. Like, microtransactions in today's day and age make so much freaking money. And if I'm one of these platform holders, sure, I want to sell consoles. But with PlayStation also expanding to PC now, with Microsoft leading that way on their platform, they both don't need to sell consoles necessarily anymore. Sure, you still want to sell them. You want to be in every living room you can. But at the same point, you can sell on PC, you can sell on whatever console, and then maybe you sell on the competitor console as well. Because really, you want those microtransactions and you want those subscribers. And eventually, I think that's the direction we're going to see more of these parties go, uh, giving more games like Minecraft with Xbox or Elder Scrolls Online like Xbox has done and Destiny like PlayStation now is doing as well. Uh, eventually, I think we get more and more of that overall. Yeah. Remember, Fortnite makes close to $300 million per month it's on insane. a free game. On a free game. They raised $100 million for the Ukrainian relief effort. In one month. That is essentially 33% of their income. I think it's been a week. Month. I think they raised or that a much week. in a week. There yeah. you go. <laughs> they, they did it in a week. My goodness. That is absolutely insane. The power of Fortnite. I just, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's crazy. I mean, no build mode already coming through, right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All those millennials with adult money coming in now. We're like, you know what? We can do this. <laughs> oh, there we go. Pot of luck in chat is saying it's been two weeks. So two yeah, weeks. right, there a, we right go. a little bit between our guesses there. Um, but yeah, overall bringing in crazy money. And a lot of these games online are Apex Legends pulling in good money. Uh, again, Bungie and Destiny pulling in good money. Halo Infinite even still pulling in good money with its declining player count right now. It's just crazy Oof. how much microtransactions can pull in for a game. Uh, anyway, back to the PlayStation rumors for this week, though. Number two on the list and not too much information here. Uh, Greg Miller did come out and said this was supposed to be a PSVR 2 event. Uh, we do know it got shown at GDC last week for game developers. They were able to get their hands-on preview of this PSVR 2 unit, get an idea of what the headset looks like, the controller feels like, and some of the tech behind it. Overall, we, I don't think they can say too much due to NDAs and embargoes, but it does, from the little bit we've heard, it sounds like it was pretty positive overall. And it sounds like eventually, whether this be for the media or for the public audience, there will be some kind of more PSVR 2 action coming in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm excited for this, John. I'm not a big VR person. I've never really jumped too much into VR. Um, but I do think PlayStation continuing to invest in it is a good move. Uh, will it pay off in the long run? I really don't know. They have shut down a lot of their in-house studios for VR games. But they're still investing in it, just doing it through some of their other studios like Gorilla making that Horizon VR game and a few others uh, out there as well that haven't been announced. 
in the end, uh, this is an area that Xbox, at least for now, is not competing in, and it doesn't seem like Nintendo will be either. So PlayStation, as a console maker, kind of has pretty much full reign in the VR space uh, outside of your other VR makers that typically lean toward PC. I know you're a big VR fan over there. Oh, uh, yeah, anything massive. else you to say on this one? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I'm just, you know, as someone who is a, a big fan of gatekeeping, I, I love VR because that is the ultimate gatekeeping mechanism in the gaming industry. Uh, cool. Awesome. Great. Uh, make it more affordable and more available to people, and then maybe VR might take off. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Affordability, <laughs> and then chat also bringing up a good point. More social hub experiences. That yes. was the downfall of PSVR 1. Uh, yeah, when you look at it overall, I think that's a big thing. And again, I hate to bring Fortnite up again, but that's one of the reasons Fortnite does so well. It's simplistic, but it also has all these other experiences, whether it be concerts, whether it be events. Now you have Creative Island going on. Anything that's social can end up keeping people engaged a lot longer. And I think that's a big win here if Sony can accomplish that here with PSVR 2. Next up, the third and final rumor. And John, this is possibly the biggest one. Uh, supposedly, according to... Greg Miller, and now Jeff Grubb also corroborating. They've both heard from secondhand sources that Sony is going to make a big slash very, very big acquisition here in the near future. They had heard rumblings of it being announced this week as well. Uh, this is up in the air. Uh, we've heard so many things of acquisitions where it's going to be big and then it's something tiny and small. And then we've heard other things of just nothing at all, like Bethesda and Activision. We didn't know either one of those were coming from Microsoft. So in the end, this could be as big as a smaller studio or this could be as big as a giant publisher. And we really don't know at this point in time. Uh, I do like Jeff Grubb as a source, though. Uh, Greg Miller, I can't say I've heard too much as far as like news sources, um, but Jeff Grubb with a pretty good track record overall. Again, he's not fully committing to this because it has been secondhand sources, and there's so many legal obligations around all this as well. Uh, technically, people can't talk about acquisitions if they're actually being made and signed. Uh, outside of little rumors here and there, anyone actually involved is fully done with NDAs and embargoes and all that good stuff. Uh, until it is publicly announced because it can change stock prices, especially if they're both publicly traded companies. Uh, in the end, I think this is exciting for PlayStation fans. Uh, as we are with every acquisition, I'm a little nervous for how the game industry will react to it because then you do end up with stuff being locked down. When Microsoft bought Activision, it's like, do they lock Call of Duty down or is it purely to put Call of Duty on Game Pass? And at this point in time, it sounds like Call of Duty will stay everywhere, but will probably go in Game Pass Day 1. And I think that's a decent win for gamers overall. It seems like a happy medium. And it also helps Activision Blizzard hopefully get cleaned up as well. Now, over to the Sony side, they have been a little bit more restrictive and typically keep things to their own platform. But we recently saw something new with the acquisition of Bungie. With Bungie coming in, they allowed them to keep their own publishing rights, which to me shows that Sony's a little bit more open to being more flexible on this point as well. So that brings us to these possible acquisition targets. We've talked about studios before, and supposedly this being a big one, let's talk a little bit more about publishers. Uh, to me, John, this is like Capcom, Square Enix, Ubisoft, or Bandai Namco. I think are probably my top four in kind of that Sony price range. Uh, you're looking at between $3 billion and $15 billion for a lot of those. I think anything up above that is probably a little bit too hard for Sony. Uh, they currently have, I think it's $13 billion cash on hand or something after the Bungie deal. So Take-Two Interactive would be a little bit out of their range. EA would be a little bit out of their range. Now, they can bring on loans. They do have a lot of money already in debt, though, as well. So I think those two are probably out of reach. But anyone below that, your Segas, your Capcoms, your Square Enixes, I think are all pretty viable targets here. Yeah, and a lot of those publishers you named... Um 
already have a great relationship with Sony. That makes acquisitions even easier. When you already have that relationship, the, then it just really comes down to the formality of, okay, in the long term, what is this going to look like? How is this going to be mutually beneficial to both organizations? How is this going to help us take the next step in creating video games and, and, and making Sony and PlayStation the console of the future and making and try to attract people to this console to play these games from this studio? Um, yeah, I, I agree 100% with everything you said, Joey. I mean, obviously, uh, Sony is in a situation uh, where they can't go out and afford to make an acquisition like a Blizzard Activision, which still blows my mind that that's even happening. Um, that's just an ungodly amount of money, just under $70 billion. Uh, just, I again, I will never see a fraction of that money in my lifetime. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's insane. Like, Sony's not in that kind of position to do that, but I think a Square Enix would be a great buy for them. I think a Capcom would be a great buy. Again, two studios that already have a very good relationship with Sony and PlayStation going forward. Uh, those would not surprise me. Like you said, Joey, they're at that price point that Sony can make that acquisition. They can make that splash. They can make that news cycle and keep themselves current in that conversation without breaking the bank and going even more in debt. Uh, so I, I like it. I, I think that's a real possibility there. Yeah, and I think those are some of your winners. Like, let's break a little bit of these down farther. Capcom, uh, you look at Sony, they just purchased Evo. Now they're pretty much the fighting esport organizer at this point, or at least the biggest one out there. Uh, then you pull in Street Fighter with Capcom. You pull in some other fighting titles. We also have rumors of Xbox working on their own Monster Hunter-esque clone. This also gives Sony the ability to have Monster Hunter mainly on their platform. And maybe that's why Xbox eventually started developing their own a couple years ago. There's a few different things going back, and a lot of these acquisitions do take some time. Uh, the Activision Blizzard one was escalated a lot quicker than these typically are uh, due to everything going on with that company right now. Um, but in the end, yeah, Capcom, I think, is a huge win for right around $3 billion to $7 billion, depending on the day in the market cap. Uh, I think that could be a big win for Sony. Square Enix, uh, the interesting thing with this is we've seen more games from Square Enix come to Xbox, but overall, the relationship with PlayStation has been the strongest between the big factors here. Uh, they do publish on Nintendo Switch quite a bit of unique exclusives over there as well. But one interesting tidbit with them is PlayStation just recently renewed a lot of agreements. So not only do we see a number of two-year really exclusivity agreements on the console, but we've seen renewals come out for games like Final Fantasy VII Remake. And that, to me, also leans toward, hey, maybe there's some negotiations going on there. And they just want to say, hey, let's keep this off the Xbox for a couple more years while we iron out the details, save up the money, whatever it ends up being, and then lock them down. So to me, Capcom and Square Enix are probably the top two targets here, both within Sony's price range. Both would bring a lot to the platform. And with Square Enix, the amount of money Sony spends on the exclusives for them, it feels like they'd probably save some money in the long run going with this acquisition as well. Then the other one is Konami. I know you're a huge Metal Gear Solid fan, John. Uh, Konami has really done very little with their IPs in recent years. Uh, Castlevania, we got, what, a Castlevania Netflix show? Uh, Metal Gear Solid, I don't think we've had anything recent in many years. Silent Hill, there's been rumors of games in development uh, for three or four years now. We still haven't seen anything, so maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, it feels like Konami, whether buying the publisher themselves, buying the developers, or maybe just buy the IPs, uh, that one also seems like a major target here for Sony as well as a possibility for me. Yeah, my whole thing with that studio is ever since uh, Kojima was essentially forced out 
it almost feels like there's like a civil war going on inside of that studio. Uh, there, there's obviously something going on that has stifled the creative process because I'm going to be honest here. As much as I love Metal Gear Solid, the Metal Gear Solid games that came out after Kojima was pushed out were not good. Uh, they just weren't good. Uh, Kojima has a mind, has a, a brilliant, brilliant mind to create and tell a story as we've seen in almost all of his games, not just Metal Gear Solid, but in all the games he puts out there, it's a very unique style. It's a very unique way of telling a story, and it's it's infectious, to be completely honest. I absolutely love the games he puts out there. Um, but again, ever since he, he was pushed out, that studio has just struggled to create anything. Um, so I think, in all honesty, that might be the play for for PlayStation, for Sony. Come in, buy the studio that's kind of in a rut, and get them back on track. Get them producing these titles again, and get them producing the next version of the storied franchise for uh, for gamers out there that want to continue, uh, you know, their journey in that in that story. Whether it's a Metal Gear Solid or a Silent Hill or or, or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like you've got to get moving in that right direction. You're you're currently stuck. Sony can help you out of that rut. I, th- I think it would be a really really good partnership there. Um, but with the one caveat, I wish they would let Metal Gear Solid go with Kojima. That's just my own personal preference. It'll probably never happen because Metal Gear Solid is a cash cow, uh, mm-hmm. is what it really comes down to. So I just yeah, but I, I think. That's what's going on there, which makes them a ripe candidate for Sony to acquire them. Absolutely. And the one thing with Konami as well as Sega to keep in mind is they do have other businesses out there too. So not only fully gaming, some of them are in gyms. I think Konami's in gyms. Sega also in the arcade business a bit. Uh, They have been selling off parts of their arcade business. so That could be making them another ripe candidate for acquisition, whether it be PlayStation, Tencent, Xbox. Maybe they're just shedding that arcade business in general. Uh, A couple things to keep in mind there. Uh, Bandai Namco, again, is another target. They're toward the upward range, in my opinion, of what Sony can afford, um, but they do have a lot with them. I mean, there is some big franchises under Bandai Namco. And the other one with Capcom that we didn't mention was their biggest franchise, Resident Evil. I mean, that initially gives Sony a really, really good horror IP to work with. Resident Evil 7 had a ton of nominations this year. Uh, There's a lot of really cool things just within Capcom in general. And for the price, Capcom seems like the biggest winner to me against Square Enix. Could be another good move for Sony as well, though. And then the other one, more a little bit more American and European, uh, is Ubisoft. Ubisoft is another possible business that could be bought up right now. Assassin's Creed under their umbrella, Tom Clancy, and a number of other titles. And they're similar to Activision Blizzard right now, where they're having a lot of issues with stuff like sexual harassment, gender discrimination, a lot of stuff going in the, on the office that should not be going on in the office. So a lot of that needs to be cleaned up, and maybe Sony comes through as the shining knight here to help clean that up as well. Uh, in the end, it feels like there are quite a few businesses within Sony's range. They can probably only pick up one of them, though, uh, depending on if they want to take out a giant loan. So I think uh, I would say the front runner for me is probably Capcom, then Square Enix. But again, there are some different targets out there. If Sony wants to get a little bit more ambitious for a Bandai Namco, I think Take-Two is probably out of their range, but locking down GTA would be huge. Um, A number of different moves out there that could be made, though. 
So we'll keep an eye on that. As far as individual studios, there's only one I think that comes up as like a big get. I don't see Take-Two selling Rockstar, so I'm not going to include that one. Uh, I would say like CD Projekt Red is probably one of them, the maker of Cyberpunk and The Witcher. And I think the other one is From Software, who just released Elden Ring. Both of those would kind of be big gets for me that are not necessarily publishers, but are kind of big deal studios. Uh, I don't think those are the targets here, but again, we'll have to keep an eye out because I really have no idea at this point. Uh, but supposedly... If these secondhand sources are true to Jeff Grubb and Greg Miller, we should see some big acquisitions from Sony here in the near future. Next up, just a couple upcoming events, and then we'll slide over to esports and wrap up today's show. Pre-registration for Diablo Immortal, the mobile game famously known for it. Don't you guys have phones? Uh, at BlizzCon a few years ago, it has now continued to move forward and is now open for pre-registration if you want to check that out. Supposedly, it's actually pretty fun from what I've heard from different critics. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on and see what happens there. Uh, PS Games for April. We have Hood, Outlaws, and Legends for PS5 and PS4, SpongeBob, Battle for Bikini Bottom, Rehydrated for PS4, and Slay the Spire also on PS4. Over on the Xbox game side, we have Games for Gold for April, Another Sight, Hue, Outpost, Coloki X, and MX vs. ATV Alive. I wish I knew what half these games were, guys, but I really don't between both parties here. Uh, in the end, SpongeBob sounds nice. Uh, Hood, I've heard decent things about. Not a lot of people like it, but I've heard some decent stuff from critics at least. Uh, in the end, some cool games to look forward to, and everyone loves free. Whether it's a great game or not so great game, it never hurts to try a free game. So in the end, there is that. Uh, E3 2022 has been canceled, guys. No in-person event or digital event. We talked about this months ago. Uh, it was eventually moved from an online event to or an in-person event to an online event again. But unfortunately, it does look like it is going to be officially canceled, pending some emails that went out today that look like it will not be moved forward. But E3 2023 is supposedly going to be a thing. We'll see if it actually does end up becoming one later on down the road. And then for those looking to get more of the Unreal Engine, the state of Unreal is going to be April 5th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, covering the latest in the Unreal Engine updates. Now, John, you did make a good note here in our notes. We did miss one gaming thing because we didn't get to talk about it last week. Uh, the initial thoughts on Halo, the TV series. This is the series that dropped on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, a lot of people having to sub to Paramount+. Plus. Thankfully, it was a Game Pass perk uh, to have 30 days free of that to go ahead and check out the series and see if it's worth your time. Uh, in the end, I have mixed thoughts on this, and I know you do as well. I'll turn it over to you first, though. Um, I love the cinematics. I think they were pretty epic. But other than that, I have some mixed feelings, and I'm curious to hear some more of yours. Uh, just real quick, Paramount Plus has released the first episode in its entirety available on YouTube. So you do mm -hmm. not need a subscription to check out the first episode. So if you do not have that Xbox Game Pass perk to get one month of Paramount Plus, YouTube does have the full first episode. All right. Uh, Joey, uh, you correctly predicted my score range after the first episode. <laughs> I was a little upset, and I and I thought about changing my score because of it. Uh, but but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to stay true to it. I gave it a 6 out of 10. Uh, and the main reason why is several things. One, uh, the reason I got a 6 and not lower was because of the nostalgia of it. Like, they had the sounds from the video game. Uh, the characters looked like the characters from the video games. Uh, just in amazing more high def intense cgi i thought it was absolutely fantastic um things i didn't like i'm not sold on the storyline right now um and th that's probably my biggest issue um you know we had the whole thing with uh spoiler alert he takes his helmet off um 
th- that might not be the biggest spoiler here, but he takes his helmet off and was not what I was expecting. Um, and I think that kind of like bothered me a little bit. Like when the Mandalorian took his helmet off, I'm like, okay, th- you know, that makes sense. Like I can, I can see that. Master Chief took his helmet off. I'm like, no, I, I don't know why. I don't have a reason for it. It was my initial gut reaction. Um, I'm not going to hold that against them. I thought the action was great. To be completely 100% honest, though, Joey, I made this comparison to you as well. This series feels so much like Stargate SG-1, the the, the sci-fi uh, universe travel show, if you will, uh, from the uh, early and mid-2000s that was big on sci-fi, uh, which I believe is a part of the Paramount family. It just has the same feel, the same action shots, camera movements. Uh, there's just a lot of similarities that scream Stargate SG-1 to me. And not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm looking for something different. Like, when you take a look at, like, how Disney Plus has been handling Star Wars content, The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, yes, they're, they're going based off of a, a typical Star Wars uh, format when it comes to these TV shows, uh, versus in, in the movies, but they're able to do it in ways that are refreshing and, and rejuvenate that feeling. This it just it just feels weird. Like uh, again, we all know my opinions on on when it comes to video game adaptations on on movies and TV shows. I want to like this. Arcane gave me hope for the Halo series. I have not watched episode two prior to this comment here on the on on level up tonight. Uh, so I this is purely based off of episode one. Uh, Joey, I, I hate to say it. If episode two is like episode one was, I may not come back for episode three. I'm, I, it just did not do enough to really make me interested in wanting to continue that series after one episode. Yeah, no, and I think that's a very popular take out there right now. I went in with very, very low expectations. I was thinking like a five or a six, so I actually came out thinking 6.5 to seven. Uh, overall, I think my biggest takeaway as far as negatives is the CGI. The CGI of the enemies uh, looked a little janky, and I think also the in-helmet view was a little janky as well, and that kind of gives you that Stargate kind of action feel to me. And I get it. They want to appeal to the gamers. They want to show that first-person perspective. Uh, And I liked it to a degree. It just looks kind of sloppy as well for a high-production film like this, or production show rather like this. And I think that takes it away a little bit from what that realism could have been. Uh, Some of the other stuff, I thought the violence level was a lot higher than I expected. Uh, And for those who haven't seen it yet, it comes very quickly in the early part of the show. Uh, It's very interesting to see them go kind of take this IP. And it has always been a mature IP. But to throw it out there and really take that level of maturity up to a level that the games have never really seen overall, uh, there is definitely some... I'll call it mental trauma in a sense. And you are obviously shooting guns within the video game. But when it comes to the show, they just take that the gore level up even another notch. Um, I... I'm not sold on the story either, but I'm not super negative against it as well. I think you take the story a lot more negatively than I do. And maybe it's just because I've come in like uh, my biggest issue is knowing some of the lore and I am by far not any kind of Halo lore junkie. I've read a couple books. I've played through the games, but I couldn't tell you all these planets that people know and all these species and races and characters. And I don't know any of that stuff. Uh, But in the end, coming in, playing the games, They've advertised it many times that this is going to be separate from the lore, and it is very much separate from the lore. Very much. And I think me coming in knowing that, 
uh, and kind of taking that really scope of things, I was a little bit more open to the story. Now, with it being said, I was not riveted with the first episode. I wasn't like, oh, I have to tune into episode two and see exactly what happens. Uh, I will say, and I'm hoping it has the same effect on you, episode two to me dragged me in a lot more. Uh, The beginning was a little bit slow. Again, you get this cool cinematic camera angles, which I think the series probably does to the best of its ability. Uh, Those are really cool. And I think the music in episode two is really well done as well. Um, But story-wise, around the middle of episode two, maybe early to middle, I think it really picks up and starts getting a little bit more interesting. And they have a good cliffhanger at the end of episode two that kind of opens things up a little bit more. So not that we're getting back on the lore path, but they are starting to move a little bit toward... I mean, it's still very far from the lore. Um, But it does open up some doorways that could be a little bit more lore-based, so I don't know. We'll have to see what it does. But at least for me, Episode 2 earned the viewing of Episode 3, so I will be tuning in and seeing what happens. Um, But again, it's... It seems like it's still doing that world-building stage, and we kind of have to be patient with these new series. At the same point, in today's day and age, people want that instant fulfillment, and it's got to start snagging more people in sooner than later to be able to do that. Uh, It seems like, at least based on online reviews, people are liking Episode 2 a lot more. Critic ratings and audience ratings are up after Episode 2, so take it as you will. Uh, I don't know if that does translate to bigger numbers later down the line, but at least for now, it does hold the record for the most popular Paramount series in 24 hours, and it does look to continue to be growing at least so far. Again, Paramount Plus is not Disney Plus. It's not Netflix. It's not one of these giant platforms, um, but a little positivity so far, and we'll see how long it goes. Are you telling me that Halo finally beat out John Taffer's Bar Rescue on Paramount Plus? Yeah, I mean, um, I think the record holder was like, uh, it was like Yosemite or something, oh or God. 1987 oh. or something I never even heard of. Um, but yeah, record holder. Woo. Well, so here's here's my last tidbit I'm going to throw out there, right? Halo's TV series cost an estimated $10 million yeah. per episode. That is on par with HBO's Game of Thrones, okay? So you saw what HBO did with a $10 million per episode budget with Game of Thrones. Now we're taking a look at what we're doing with a $10 million budget for Halo on Paramount+. Plus. Um, these are all things that, you know, maybe people who care a little too much about what they're watching care about. For the average viewer, they probably don't care. But if I'm sitting here comparing these two seeing the success of Game of Thrones on that budget and then watching episode one of, of Halo and going, eh, that costs the same amount of money? Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'll tell you what. Make sure you follow the show on social media. Follow me on Twitter as well. I will let you know after I watch episode two if my feelings have changed. And Joey, I'll report back on Level Up as well after I watch episode two and episode three uh, going into it for the next show and probably four because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Chad, give us your predictions here. So John rated the first episode a 6. I rated it about a 6.5 slash 7. What are your thoughts on John's rating for episode 2? Those that have seen it and those that haven't. uh, John, I'm going to say you take episode 2 a little bit more to heart, but not by much. I'm going to go with like a 6.5 on this one. Coming in at a 4. Thank you. Yeah, we will have to wait and see on that one. Uh, Anything else you want to talk about in the Halo series? Again, we can report back once you've seen episode two to see if you'll be sticking along for the majority of it. Uh, And for those that missed a couple episodes ago, it has been signed for a season two, even before season one launched. Uh, It does have a permanent director now, as opposed to going through three directors in a season. So that will be something to look forward to for Halo fans as well. (laughs) Three directors in one season. I know, Green man. That, for season two, baby. COVID COVID (laughs) pounded things particularly, but also the series. I mean, it's been, what... 
I think it's been in filming for like five years, seven years. Uh, Spielberg did overlook it, so that's one thing to have in mind. But yeah, overall, it definitely went through its fair share of turmoil overall. Okay, let's talk a little bit about esports and then wrap up today's show. Rocket League. John, we had the pleasure of seeing a world championship for Rocket League a couple years ago. And this not quite world, but G2 Esports has been crowned the RLCS Winter Major Champions. John, this was a crazy finale. Level Up Nation podcast listeners, it's worth checking this one out. Team Queso cut the cheese and forced a bracket reset with 4-3 win action in that first matchup. And then G2 came back. They clawed their way back. They threw the cheese on a cracker, and they took a chomp out of it. 4-2 to be crowned champions. John, we love bracket resets. Not as much when we're casting them late at night. Uh, but overall, it is fun to watch an eSport event where the bracket resets come out. Uh, this one being a big one, that 4-3 win by Queso, and then G2 running it back with a 4-2 victory, being crowned the Winter Major Champions. Jerry, if there's one thing I can count on is is your amazing talent for puns. <laughs> um, just the amount of cheese puns you put in that. Are just I try to wheel them I out have there, John. To say. I try to get it done. Oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> I... I quit. I'm done. I'm out. See you guys. Have fun. Joey, all yours. <laughs> Absolutely. But you got to stay around for one more topic, at least. Upcoming, we have Masters Reykjavik 2 for Valorant. Due to the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, unfortunately, European Valorant champions Fun Plus Phoenix will not be able to participate in the event. As a result, Nixia, I don't think she's in chat tonight, but her team, Team Liquid, who came in fourth, will end up taking that third spot, representing EU alongside Fnatic and G2. Uh, I think this is big for Team Liquid, unfortunately not qualifying initially, now getting that second life, and let's see what they can do with it. On the opposing side, though, Fun Plus Phoenix, this team looked dominant. Uh, this was a team that took the number two seed from EU here with Fnatic. They took them all the way to a 13-0 win on one of the maps. Like, they looked like the best team in the world at the point, and unfortunately not able to go back here to possibly find a win at Reykjavik. They'll have to send Fnatic, G2, and Liquid to get the job done for EU. Continuing with this, the Fnatic roster is not done being in the news, John, because they have some negative stuff going on here as well. Speaking of Fnatic Valorant, FNC has suspended Brave AF from Pro Play as they investigate pro-Russian text messages that he sent. Uh, there was an apology and clarification that came out from him about some more information around these messages. With that being said, uh, the messages come across very negatively. Supposedly, they were sent, and again, I don't think there were timestamps on them, prior to the invasion from Russia and Ukraine, and also at a similar time where a lot of that Russian propaganda was at its highest. So again, take that as you will. We're not going to play judge, judge, jury, and executioner here on the show. John might. I will not. Um, but <laughs> overall, I feel like that's something worth considering. Again, we don't know if he's telling the truth on that. I don't think there were timestamps on the text messages. And even if he was telling the truth, I feel like some of the language that he used in the text was a little too vulgar in a sense, and a very... Um, I mean, hateful. Hateful is probably the best way to put it. Uh, very hateful toward humankind and the Ukrainian people. And I feel like a lot of that, whether this investigation turns up or not, is definitely something that will stick with his fans as well as just people in the scene in general. This is a fantastic social media learning moment. Is If you're going to comment on something, you need to make sure you actually understand what's going on. Whether this was a day or two before Russia invaded Ukraine... That was building up for weeks, for weeks. Um, yes, it might have been a, a, a private message with somebody else, but you want to know something? Those private messages are not so private, especially 
when there's a lot of emotions involved and especially when an invasion and a war breaks out. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it stinks for Fanatic's Valorant team because now they're having to pay the price for one of their members, uh, you know, saying some very distasteful and, and nasty things uh, without having full knowledge or at least a better understanding of the world situation, the, the environment of what was happening. Um, yeah, it, 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 it sucks for, for, uh, for Valorant. It sucks for Fnatic. Uh, I hope Brave AF learns a lot from this experience. Um, it, it, it's tough. And I, I don't want to see, I don't want to see him like blacklisted or anything like that. Cause, cause again, you have to remember people like a lot of these esport pros, 18, 19, 20 years old. I mean, Joey, you know, for us, it wasn't that long ago. Like, we remember what we were like at that age. We didn't exactly make the best decisions here and there. Um, so, you know, there is a benefit of the doubt here a little bit. You know, obviously, esport organizations might need to focus a little bit more on uh, media and public relations training and social media training a little bit more to avoid situations like this. Uh, I know Monumental Sports and Entertainment, when it comes to Caps Gaming and WizDG, anyone involved with that organization goes through pretty much PR uh, training, how to speak to reporters, how to tweet, how to you know be a public figure kind of thing. Uh, that's why I kind of want to see more esports organizations focus on here a little bit because then you won't have situations like this where one of your players on your Valorant roster is now suspended uh, for whether he thinks it was pro-Russian or not. It definitely came across, and the the public is the judge, jury, and executioner, and the public's response to what he wrote uh, deemed him unworthy of currently competing based upon the current world situation. So um, it, it's tough, but but it is a very big learning moment for him and pretty much anyone else on social media. Yeah, absolutely, and I definitely agree with the media training. In this particular case, I feel like he handled the PR part decently well. He came out yeah. the apology tweet pretty quickly and gave more clarification. Uh, unfortunately, you never know who's going to post what messages. So that also, it's beyond just that PR, but what messages you're sending, whether it be texts or emails, uh, I mean, DMs even, people can post those at any point. So you have to be careful who you're talking to and just really what you're saying in general. A lot of the stuff, again, that he said here was pretty hateful. And whether it be under propaganda or not, it's still stuff that should not be said. Uh, so in the end, there is a lot of negative to keep out there. We'll keep an eye on that investigation. But for now, we'll have Alliance's Fioroth or Fea coming in and subbing in for that spot on Fnatic Valorant and making the trip to Reykjavik. We'll keep you guys updated on that. Last but not least, we don't have it in today's show notes because we are running toward the end of the show. But for our LCS and LEC predictions for playoffs for the weekend ahead, go ahead and check out our Twitter accounts. We'll go ahead and post them at Level Up Live as well as at OTN Media on Twitter. We'll get these posted in chat for you, those live with us here on Twitch as well. Uh, but in the end, we'll be posting our predictions on there to kind of save this show from going over that 90-minute mark too far. All right, Nation, that is going to do it for this edition of Level Up Live. Before you go, head over to patreon.com slash OTN becoming a part of the Overtime Network. In return, you'll get access to exclusive content that nobody else in the world can get unless they are a part of OTN Media. If you haven't done so already, make sure you follow the show on Twitch. Catch the next episode of Level Up Live. If you listen to the show on our podcast feed, please do leave us a review. Level Up Podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play, and anywhere else you can find an RSS feed. For podcasts, just look us up. We are there for you. 
We would love to hear from our community. We love to hear from our community any time of day, 24-7, 365. Just hit us up. Joey, what are the ways our community can reach out uh, to we us? We might not a- answer those messages all 24 hours of the day, <laughs> but we will definitely receive them. Again, guys, the Twitter for the show is at Level Up Live on Twitter. Additionally, you can find the overall umbrella company, OTN Media, on Twitter and Facebook at OTN Media and on Instagram at OTN underscore media. Last but not least, come find the show live here on Twitch Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time over here on Twitch. Come bring your Twitch Prime subs. Come bring that energy. Come hang out and chat, and let's talk gaming and esports news. All right, just a little bit of information. No show next Thursday uh, because I am a moron. I'm still going to the Nationals' home opener uh, after their 28-8 thrashing that they received the other day in spring training. I'm still going. It's baseball season, baby, so we're going to delay that one week. Next show, Thursday, April 14th. That's when we'll pick it back up, covering the latest and greatest in gaming esports news. Do your ears and eyes a favor. Hit that sub and follow button to know when the next episode of Level Up Live is ready for your entertainment pleasures. We'll catch you all on the 14th. Enjoy your weekend. Remember, be nice to your fellow gamers online. And as always, Level Up. up.